0: Daniel chapter 2 And I'm going to read a number of verses We're going to start at verse 36 And I'm going to go on to verse 45 The king answered and said to Daniel Whose name was, was Belteshazzar Are you able to make known to me the dream Which I have seen And its interpretation And Daniel answered in the presence of the king And said the secret which the king has demanded The wise men, the astrologers, the magicians And the soothsayers Cannot declare to the king But there is a God in heaven Who reveals secrets And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar What will be in the latter days You will dream And the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king Thoughts came to your mind while on your bed About what would come to pass after this And he who reveals secrets has made known to you What will be But as for me This secret has not been revealed to me Because I have more wisdom than any li- anyone live in But for our sakes Who make known the interpretation to the king That you may know the thoughts of your heart You O oh king we're watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendour was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Its belly, and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet. Partly of iron and partly of clay You watched while a stone was cut out without hands Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay And broke them in pieces And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver And the gold were crushed together And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O oh king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom. Power, strength, and glory. Mm-hmm. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze Which shall rule over all the earth And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces And shatters everything And like iron that crushes That kingdom will break in pieces And crush all the others Whereas you saw the feet Partly of potter's clay And partly of iron The kingdom shall be divided Yet the strength of the iron Shall be in it Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron And partly of clay So the kingdom shall be partly strong And partly fragile As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay They will mingle with the seed of men But they will not adhere to one another Just as iron does not mix with clay And in the days of these kings The God of heaven will set up a kingdom Which shall never be destroyed And the kingdom shall not be left to other people It shall break in pieces And consume all these kingdoms And it shall stand forever Inasmuch as you saw that the stone Was cut out of the mountain without hands And that it broke in pieces the iron The bronze The clay The silver The gold The great God Has made known to the king What will come to pass after this This dream is certain And its interpretation is sure Now I would say that me, I am Probably the most informed person To deal with this subject that we've got tonight I am in the perfect position To tell you all about it I tell you why when I was about to settle down to study and put what I'm going to say today together, a letter came through the letterbox inviting me to see a specialist concerning my feet. You now, as you know, I've suffered these last five months considerably with my feet and they've been extremely painful, but I'm so glad because the Lord has put me in a perfect position to outline this prophecy, because its whole focus is on the feet. That's where the focus lay. It's on the feet. Now, I can tell you by experience that it doesn't matter how healthy you may be, or strong you may feel, or robust you may act, if you have bad feet, then you are incapacitated. Take it from me um, as one who knows only too well by experience. You are unable to carry out the things that you really want to do. Whether they are big things or whether they are just little menial tasks. There are times when your feet are so bad that you just can't get to where you (coughs) want to be. Because your whole body... Depends upon a solid foundation And that is Those little things that hang at the bottom of your legs Your feet And if they are suspect Then your whole body is vulnerable That's what I can see in this passage of scripture The focus is on the feet Now without going into too much detail Because it's a, it's a, it's a massive uh, chapter As you know, you know And that's why I only read from verse 26 The children of Israel are in captivity in Babylon Under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar And we know from chapter 1 that Daniel and his friends um, Have been, have found themselves in the court of the king And um, is, they are a part of the wise men fraternity You know and they mingle about the court and uh, they give the king little snippets of information that he that he wants. And especially as far as his dreams are concerned. If he had a dream he would call someone, tell him the dream, and they would tell him the interpretation. That's how it always worked. You know one, but this time, as we know, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that disturbed him. And this time he wanted answers. This time he wasn't going to be fobbed off with the usual rubbish that these men came up, up with he wasn't going to go down the usual route of giving the dream to the wise men so that they could invent some cock and bull story that would actually satisfy him even though he knew that what they were saying was a load of rubbish it satisfied him it salved his, his heart and he got on with life it's almost like burying your head in the sand but this time, he wanted the truth. He wasn't going to be satisfied with all that nonsense. He wanted the truth. You know, when it's strange, you know, that people will pull the wool over their own eyes in order to salve their conscience or in order to forget something or in order to know peace. But sometimes God's incessant tapping will come and they will not rest until. They know the truth. And I suppose that that's um, what we always pray for. What we've prayed for tonight. You know there are people out there in the world who believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the gospel. They believe in hell. And they believe in heaven. They believe all these things but they choose... To pull the wool over their own eyes and listen to stories and fables and tales uh, that people are talking that will sort of give them the peace that they want. And that they get on with their life knowing that there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. Not everybody, but there are some people who are out there in the community that we belong to who are in the same position as Nebuchadnezzar was. Knowing that people are pulling the wool over their eyes. You know, as far as evolution is concerned They know that they are pulling the wool over their eyes you No know, Men who have gone into it And have seen the flaws Of evolution and yet still adhere to it Because The alternative is not worth thinking about you know, And there they are you know, We can preach to them And they will know what we are saying is true But there is someone down the road that will say something More soothing And more palatable To them and they will listen to them rather than listen to us, you know, and yet sometimes you know, and this is what we want more than anything else. We want God to come and tap people on the shoulder and say, Whoa, get your head out of the sand, or get your head out of the clouds, and listen to what's being said. That's what we want more than anything else. You know. And this man, he couldn't rest no more. No, he couldn't put up with the normal rubbish that he was that satisfied him uh, no more he wanted the truth he wanted to get to the bottom of what was happening because somewhere deep inside he had been stirred god had stirred him god was speaking to him you know as you can see with daniel as we looked at the reading daniel said god has told you god has told you what's going to happen not only to you but Right to the latter days. I don't know if you notice that this is going to be concerning the latter days. That's about us. Nebuchadnezzar knew about us. Do you believe that he knew what was going to happen to us? Because God revealed it to him. Now, of course, the usual route was to be was to go to the wise men, and that's what he did. But they had no idea. This was unheard of. That the king didn't give the uh, the the, um, the dream. But waited for them to give it to him. You know, what a challenge that was for them. But they couldn't do it. You not know, even the threat of death didn't get their creative juices running at all. They were at the mercy of the king because they couldn't tell him any lies. Because they would be found out. You know, and there was this great burden, this cloud hanging over them. You know, but they were fortunate because Daniel was among them. Now Daniel wasn't someone who invented cock and bull stories Daniel was someone who knew the Lord He knew the Lord who had brought this dream He knew the Lord who had disturbed this person And he knew that if he was disturbing a person He knew that there would be an answer to that disturbance And so when Daniel heard about it He gathered his friends And this is what he said Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, in order that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. You know what I want you to notice there that Daniel didn't presume on God. He didn't presume on God. He sought God. He asked God. Do you and I suppose that we can't presume on God? You know, we have a, a society that's outside. We can't presume that God is going to save so many. We seek God's face. We seek God's face for what He wants us to do, what He wants us to say, where He wants us to go, who He wants us to talk to. We can't presume on God. You know, there is a, a way of approaching God. There is a way of seeking His face. There is a way of seeking His will and purpose for the moment that we live in. You know, and here they are. They are waiting. They seek the mercies from God concerning this secret. So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, death was a little bit of a stimulus to them too. Because they would have died. Had no one come up With this secret Then the secret it says Was revealed to Daniel In a night vision And if you was to read that part of the scripture You would see that Daniel Broke forth in praise And adoration He blessed The God of heaven Thanked him for this Wonderful provision Of the answer to the problem that was face in them. now, I would think that we all in this little room tonight know what this dream is about. I know in pers- for a personal experience, I've been taught this since I was in Sunday school. I didn't really know then uh, what it meant. I couldn't understand the, the sort of the practicalities of it all but at least I knew the story and I knew something of what it was about you know any prophetic series worth its salt will include this passage of scripture because it's a prophecy that has spanned the whole of history from this point in Babylon until this point in Immanuel Christian Fellowship this prophecy is still to be fulfilled This prophetic vision is still being played out In our world today And therefore it becomes quite, Im- quite important for us To understand because perhaps It will be fulfilled in our lifetime Who knows it looks quite likely That it will as we will go forward from here For the next couple of weeks it'll, It looks quite likely That some of us if not most of us Will see This prophecy being fulfilled And that's why it's important That we know what it means It's spanned the whole Of history You know it's a, a prophet A prophecy that can be scanned And studied And found to be Extremely or should I say perfectly accurate in all of its dealings with humanity now Nebuchadnezzar he saw a very queer statue a queer looking statue you know, and when you look at it it's almost as if the sculptor either couldn't make up his mind which material to use or He didn't have enough material to do it all in one. He seems to have used different material for every little section of the actual statue. While I was looking and thinking about it, it's obvious that the statue has to be made from the feet up. You can't make it from the head down, can you? You can only make it from the feet up If you're building a statue You know when you put in bits together Adding bits on and stuff You've got to start with the feet And then you work up the legs and the body And then the head You know so um, When you make it It's got to go from the feet up But when you listen to Daniel's explanation He starts with the head down So we have got the feet up And the head down You know and it shows to me And it sort of spoke to me About God's omniscience no he is the one and the only one Who knows the end Which is the feet From the beginning Which is the head You know and we can be assured That God is active From the moment Nebuchadnezzar Was confronted with his prophecy To the moment that God Will bring it to a close Every second in between God is working out his purposes And he's doing things according to his plans. You know, and there's never been a time during that two thousand five hundred year period or so that God has ever lost control of what is happening. And there's never, you know, and even that is the same today. He's not lost control. Now, when we look out at the situation that we find ourselves in, then we think to ourselves, "Well, you know, is this what it's going to be about? You know, where is it all this going to end? Has God left the reins? Has He gone somewhere? Has He lost control?" You know, the answer is no. And when you look at this passage of scripture, you can see that everything is working according to plan. And He knew right back there. What would happen right in here? You know, and I find that quite comforting And securing You know, and uh, I thank God that For the omniscience of God Who knows the end from the beginning Now just to get a picture of it As we would uh, in any children's Bible book Because, you know, I've, this is where I've seen this story first In a, in a comic Bible book You know with his statue sticking up in the air With the head of gold And the feet of of clay and of iron You know the head was made of fine gold Shining gold It was glorious It was excellent You know it was uh, a, a wonderful start To this amazing statue Of course we know That the chest and the arms Were made of silver The belly And the thighs Or the side Were made of bronze And the legs Were made of iron You want of course to become to the feet And they were made Of iron And clay And so we can see there that this Last bit is a A continuation of the legs And yet in somehow it's mixed with this other stuff This other stuff So there we can see Four or five things That this man has used To make the statue And I wanted to know too That the clay that is used Isn't the, the slimy stuff You know the sort of the malleable stuff It's ceramic stuff It's burnt clay So it's gone through the, uh, the oven as it were And therefore it's brittle and hard and is unable, completely unable to mix with the iron you know and um, that's not something that you see every day of course and it's no wonder that Nebuchadnezzar was a little perturbed because he saw this figure and he knew it was different from all the other things that he had dreamed of and he was perturbed but Daniel continues and introduces another aspect of this dream. You know, if that wasn't bad enough. There's something there that is apart from the statue. Not part of the statue at all. And it becomes detrimental to the statue. And that's this little fella here. This rock. A stone. But it was no ordinary stone. Says Daniel. This had a, another worldly origin. Because it was cut out without hands. Without hands. You know, and I want you to notice, as we read the scriptures, that it struck the statue on its feet. On its feet. And therefore, what when this will occur won't be it didn't strike the head or the arms or the, the body, it didn't strike the legs. It struck the feet So whatever is going to happen to this statue It's going to happen at the very end At the very end That's important for us to understand And of course, it's, as I said earlier It's, it's the weakest point of the whole statue Because once those feet go The rest of it will go No, you can't take away the feet and expect everything else keeps standing. Once those feet go, then everything is actually gone. You know, we can see that the statue, having been crushed at its weakest point, begins to crumble and resembles an indiscernible heap of stuff. In other words, you can't tell the gold from the silver, from the bronze. From the iron, from the clay. It's just one heap that has been reduced to dust and actually is then blown away and leaves no trace whatsoever. But on the other hand, the stone that had done this damage began to grow. And it becomes a mountain And that mountain fills the whole earth This is how uh, how it's it's said in the Bible You watched uh, Nebuchadnezzar You watched while a stone was cut out without hands Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay And broke them in pieces Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors The wind carried them away that no trace of them was found And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth Now that's the dream That's the dream Now again I expect that Most if not all of you Will know basically what it all means And therefore today is Is about a sort of a foundation Of what Daniel has to show us Daniel You know you've enlightened Nebuchadnezzar Now why don't you enlighten us a little bit And tell us What it's all about And basically This image And this sort of scenario That is acted out For um, Nebuchadnezzar While he lay on his bed This is the history Of the world From this point Up until the coming of Christ To set up his kingdom On the earth So it's quite important That we You and I Are in the loop I don't want to be left out of this loop I want to be in the know As far as this is concerned Because it's going to concern me For the rest of my life And it's going to concern me For the whole of eternity So I want to know What this is all about It involves me You know who would have thought that This ancient Hebrew seer Daniel Would have something of interest To say to me In 2020. In Emmanuel. And yet it is. I'm involved all the way up to my neck. And so I want to know as much as is possible. Explain it, Daniel. Now so, there we have him. Standing all good. You wonder, and brave. The head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar. This is you. This is what God thinks of you. This is your kingdom. And notice it's gold. It's fine gold, says the, says the scripture. You want this kingdom of, um, of Nebuchadnezzar? It's probably one of the greatest kingdoms of all time. It is the most powerful kingdom. It is the most glorious kingdom. It is the c- most creative kingdoms of all time and Nebuchadnezzar was an amazing man, in fact Daniel called him a king of kings that's how amazing this man is you know there's very few people who have been called a king of kings, now I know that the Lord has been called the king of kings but here is another person who's been called the king of kings, you want know, and here he is and he heads up this Babylonian empire that has run roughshod over the known world, has destroyed an awful lot of other empires, and has carried away captives into its cities, and has become at the centre of excellence. You know, we can see that with Daniel. You know, you didn't, you didn't just uh, sort of slope into the way, into the court of of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. You want to earn your way in. And Daniel and his and his three friends, they earned their way in by trusting in the Lord if you remember uh, they were given all the riches of food and everything and they said no we are going to go vegan (laughs) this is where I part company with Daniel to be honest with you (laughs) we are going to go vegan we are going to just eat the pulses and the rest of the stuff we are going to drink water and we are going to be better than anyone else and that's what happened the top of the tree Daniel was the top of the tree because this Nebuchadnezzar recognized something about Daniel that he saw in no one else. And of course we know that God was with him. So there's the first empire. It's the Babylonian empire. And then of course we come down to the chest on arms of, sil- of silver, and it represents the Medes and the Persians. Now the, the, Daniel says, it's not such a good kingdom as yours. You get to say, well, how, how did they win then?" Well, we'll find out as we go along. You know, and uh, if we went to chapter 5, uh, we would see perhaps why Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom lost its charm. Because if we went to D- Daniel chapter 5, we would see the sordid goings on in the court of Belshazzar, who <coughs> was Nebuchadnezzar's son, and how they mocked God they mocked the God of heaven and so he wrote them a little note on the plaster of the wall with his finger you know, and telling them that their time on the world stage was over Nebuchadnezzar you are the head of gold you are glorious you are a king of kings but now you are time On that world stage Is over You know and it's it's interesting to know In Daniel chapter 5 That Daniel was again called in To interpret the note That simply read Mini Mini Tekel, Pazin Simple That's all the note said You know and of course The words mean God has numbered the days of your reign And brought it To an end That's the first word He says it twice And when God says something twice You sit up and take notice God has uh, Numbered the days of your reign And brought it to an end I say God has (laughs) God has numbered the days Of your reign And brought it to an end And then of course he brings the other word Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And then, last of all, we have the word um, Afazin, which means your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now we can see why that great kingdom came to an end because they. Rebelled against God. They mocked Him. If you remember the, what happened, they had a, a bit of a party going on, you know, and uh, they decided that they would use holy implements from the Temple of Jerusalem so that they can drink their wine and they can cast a, a sneer to God. It's what worries me when um, I see pictures on the television of pride marches and things. It's almost as if they're. Casting a sneer towards God and saying. What are you going to do about this now? You know and uh, this is what they said. What are you going to do? What's the God of heaven going to do about this now? You know and then we have this message. And we know don't we that that night. The Medes, Darius the Mede. He um, changed the direction of the river. That flowed into Babylon. And uh, the river bed became dry. And they were able to walk through the tunnel and, and destroy Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom Or Belshazzar's kingdom Without hardly raising a sweat And there he is Lying dead on the floor That's the view I've got of this Bible book That I had many years ago Okay then that's the Medes and the Persians Now we come back to our statue Because we have the belly and the sides of the statue made of bronze, which of course they speak of the Greek Empire, uh, headed up by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, you know, and I, I know if you listen or you read about him, he was young, he was vibrant, he was enthusiastic, and he was ambitious. You wonder, know, uh, he flew and you know the Bible says in one place, that he flew from the West and overcome the known world. In, in BC334, 3, 3, he inverted, invaded the Persian Empire and began a series of campaigns that lasted 10 years, and following the conquest of Anatolia, Alexandra broke the power of Persia in a series of def- decisive battles. Most notably the battles of Issus and Gaugamela. So I had that off a net. So it must be right. Now that all before he was 21. You know I do worry about my grandchildren. They are 21. And so they are late coming in. You do worry a bit about them. But this man he went out and he conquered the world. And he came back with the world when he was 21. Then of course we have the legs of iron. Which represent the Roman Empire. Which, to all intents and purposes, was the most brutal of the empires that governed at the time of Christ and beyond. Of course, you know, and as the two legs would suggest, this regime regime was dogged by division and actually did split up into East and West. And now we've got the feet. These all-important feet. And I hate to say, but Brexit comes to mind When I think of the feet I know we've, we've had a bit of a break from Brexit uh, For the last couple of weeks But here comes Brexit once again Because Brexit, believe it or not Is the most current expression of these feet You know, one word can sum up the feet And that is the word division Division they are made up of two irre- irre- irreconcilable substances. Iron and ceramic clay. As we look back over history, this man-made empire, since the fall of Rome, then you will see all the divisions that have occurred. You know, Europe is a total mess. And always has been. You've got wars. Strife. Bitter quarrels. And then you might have. An encouraging union. Between two countries. Only to end up. In a bloody conflict. As iron, There is tremendous strength. Attached to this kingdom. But as clay. It shows. That it's weakness is in its division its divided loyalties you know I suppose that in a way Europe the history of Europe is a decree course all of its own but the expression of these feet and toes that would interest us of course is the current one where we again see the attempt in Europe to unify the nations and we can't do it you can't do it. It's, it can't be done. You know, when you look at America, you see the. I think it's 51 states. Is it 51 states? 50 states. You know, and by and large, they dwell together. They <coughs> dwell together. There goes there's differences. If you can imagine, there's more differences between their north and and south than perhaps uh, Europe's north and south, or east and west. It's a massive uh, continent, and yet they live. Under one president Under one regime Under one currency Under one constitution And they're getting on with life Yes there were battles that had to be fought The war, of, uh, the civil war and all the rest of it But they are together They are one And then you come to Europe It's a smaller thing And yet no one can seem to find the answer To bring unity to to Europe You know, on this last attempt, you know, it had been attempted by the Roman army, it had been attempted by the Catholic Church, it had been attempted by the Germans, it had been attempted by every every type of people, and now the attempt is the European uh, Union, of course, which is rife with division. You know, we can't see eye to eye, and of course we have, uh, thankfully, Come out! We cough from over this side, but I'm sure that uh, as we go through our studies here, we'll be see that we will be glad to be out. I am anyway. But you see, this is what is happening. This is the the expression of the toes and on the, the feet, the strength. You because know, if you think about it, if if Europe became united, it would be the the big beast as far as the world is concerned. You know, it would dwarf all the other regimes. You know, it would, it would be better than America. It would be better than Russia. It would be better than China. It would be better Because there's so much um, potential within the shores of Europe. And yet we cannot see eye to eye about envy. You know, what, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, fulfillment of the prophecy that we have before us. Europe is an enigma that God saw all those years ago. You know, and it puts our um, prophecy into perspective. It would be, an, I got down you, it would make an undefeatable beast on the world stage. And yet, at the same time, we see nothing but divisions that lay behind it. Typified, of course, by Brexit. This is just another step that would show us. That uh, you, the United States of Europe are difficult to envisage uh, at the moment. And now, of course, we have the stone. Not a man made thing or even a natural phenomena, uh, but something quite supernatural. This is obviously a, a reference to God. This is where God comes in. Nebuchadnezzar, no, your kingdom's great. It's as fine gold. But you're going to lose it. And an inferior kingdom will come. The Medes and the Persians. But they will be destroyed. Because a swifter, younger, more ambitious man will come. And he will take it from you. But then a more violent and savage uh, group of people will come. And he, they will take it from him. But all the time, I'm watching. And I'm waiting for my moment. Because my moment is going to bring... Everything to a close, and start something that will last for eternity. This is an eternal kingdom that's about to be set up. You know, this is obviously a reference to God and to His destruction of this man-made edifice through the setting up of the kingdom of His Son. Now, that's uh, that's what we see uh, in the dream now the first thing that I want us to uh, the first thing I want us I would have us to understand is the fact that Daniel the book of Daniel is written in three different languages it's written there's little bits of it written in Chaldean uh, which we will ignore for the present time because there's no bearing on what I've got to say tonight Uh, but this chapter chapter 2 and Incidentally chapter 7 which is another dream concerning the same period of time They are both written in Aramaic Now Aramaic was the, um, the normal language of the people at this time So God is speaking to the world He's telling the world what is about to happen He's making it known to them. In chapter 7, he will make it known to them. You see, there's a, this is an open secret that God is bringing to the world. And, um, but when we come to other chapters, things that relate not to the world anymore, but to the children of Israel. For instance, the, the, the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And, and, thing, and the prophecy of the coming of the son Of, of, of uh, the ancient of days And things like that Written in a totally different language It's written in Hebrew Which isn't an open language It isn't a normal language It's a closed language It's a secret you know, and In fact Daniel is told to seal up the book So there are things that God Wants the world to know And there are things that he keeps to himself Only he lets out to a couple of people That he can trust You know, and of course, Daniel wrote it all down, and no one has seen it for years and years and years until quite recently, when we've understood what it's all been about. You know, that's how God works. It's Paul calls it the mystery. A mystery is something that God chooses to reveal at some point when no one knew anything about it before. The church is a mystery. No one knew about the church, you know, until the church was formed. God kept it under his hat although when you find the, chur- uh, the church in the New Testament and look back you can see little things that he had sort of put in that would point to the time that's how God works it's ama- he's amazing there's some wonderful things you know and um, the Hebrew I didn't put it down but Hebrew is a private matter and do you know there are things in the world that we would tell the world But there are things that we keep to ourselves as well. You know, uh, even today, as Christians, we keep things to ourselves. You know, and it's interesting to notice that the Aramaic was used in chapter 2 when it talks of the history of the world and chapter 7. But when we come to chapter 9 and 10, it's quiet. It's for the select few that you and I belong to. Now, just to bring our time to a close tonight, I want to read a verse from 1 John Chapter 2 And verse 16 And this is what it says For everything in the world The lust of the flesh The lust of the eyes And the pride of life Comes not from the Father But from the world Now as we look at our statue And see the kingdoms of this world I think that this verse in 1 John would sum up the tenor of the whole human nature and its defiance of God. You see, none of these regimes or empires ever give God the glory. Only in little pockets of time. Nebuchadnezzar gave God the glory at one point. You know, but his whole, the whole tenor of, his, of the empire was godless. You know, Alexander the uh, the Medes and Persians It was a godless society Although there were little times When Cyrus came in line With God's thinking And allowed the children of Israel To go back into Jerusalem You know, the Alexander the Great It was a godless regime And of course the Romans Was a godless regime Although the Greeks The Greek uh, Alexandra Brought um, a a universal language. That God used to write his New Testament in. And the Romans brought a universal road system. That the apostles used to preach the gospel on. So every sort of empire. Although godless. Has had little snippets of benefit. For the kingdom of God. They might not have known it. They might not have wanted that. But that's how God works. He uses all types of things Now the reason why I read this verse Is because starting with Nebuchadnezzar And the head of gold We are able to see That this kingdom Was typified by the pride of life Now Nebuchadnezzar in fact himself Was so puffed up With his own importance And his own achievements That God actually had to bring him down to size and in fact when you read the book of Daniel you will see that Nebuchadnezzar this great king the king of kings actually spent seven whole years eating with the animals chewing cud with the cows now what a come down for a great man but it was pride you know when the bible tells us very plainly that God resists the proud you and know, Nebuchadnezzar found that to his cost you know, and even his son Belshazzar thought that he could defy the God of heaven by what we talked about earlier this party that he threw for his friends and they sort of cast a sneer to God and yet we know that that was his downfall pride the kingdom of man is characterized by pride And pride It goes against all That God stands for You know continuing With the Medes and the Persians As we read in Daniel Their pride was characterized By their self-determination And their total disregard For the God of heaven You know it was these people That subjected Daniel To the den of lions You know and um, There's a verse in chapter 8 That summed up The Medes and the Persians And this is what it says It did as it pleased And became great In other words it didn't need God It didn't want God It didn't want God to interfere whatsoever And it did what it wanted to do And it became great In its own eyes And if you remember the reason why Daniel Went into the den of lions Is because he was a prayer And they didn't want God to be involved In this kingdom They didn't want God to be anywhere near it. Get your hands off our kingdom. We don't want you here. Did as it pleased. And became great. Of course we have Alexandra. uh, The great who conquered the known world. Before he was 21. But like many before him. This failed to satisfy him. You know, He lamented the fact. That there was nothing else to conquer. In other words he got to the top. And found that there was nothing there. You know, when you listen to an awful lot of people who get to the top, especially in entertainment, they get to the top and there's nothing there. There's nothing there that satisfies them. You know, there's, there's nothing there that, in that en- enlivens them. You want know, so many fall prey to something or another because they've reached the top and found there's nothing there. And that's a sort of the characteristic of humanity. Striving for something, and when we get it, we don't want it. We, it doesn't satisfy. Because nothing will satisfy. Because only Christ satisfies the longing of the soul. And yes we can heap up things uh, In our lives We can heap up uh, possessions And we can heap up this And we can heap up that And be powerful And all the things that sort of Flick men switches And when it's all done and dusted It just falls flat As rubbish at their feet Man Characterized By dissatisfaction And non-fulfillment You know when they left Desperate You know the lusts of the flesh And the lusts of the eyes Can never satisfy the sinful soul Because only in Christ Are we made complete For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily And you are complete in him Now here we are We are not at the top of the tree We didn't make it to the top and find nothing there No we, f- we were found in Christ You know and he is the fullness of God The pleroma of God And we are fulfilled in him You know that's the beauty of this salvation This relationship that we have with God We haven't got to go to the empires of the world We can see that they are filled with pride They are filled with immorality. They are filled with uh, lusts of the flesh and lusts of the eyes. They are filled with dissatisfaction. But you and I have got everything that we need. Where? In Christ Jesus. He is the fullness of God. And we are complete in Him. And of course we also have the Roman Empire. Which of course along with all the other empires. Became corrupt. And immoral. And unstable you know this little vision or dream or this statue that we've been looking at tonight is man without God Is mm-hmm. man without God in all walks of life man without God craves power craves, is proud is greedy is violent is rebellious and is immoral, and that's the land, that's the world that we are uh, looking at and studying and living in today. It's power mad, it's proud, it's greedy, it's violent, it's rebellious, and it's immoral. You know, and these are the ugly blemishes that we find on the best of us. You know, man in his sin. Is totally incapable of cleaning himself up. Or wiping the slate clean. But such. But during each of these reigns. God has been at work. You know we can see it with Daniel. He was at work with Daniel. And um, the three boys. He was at work with Mordecai. And Esther. He was at work with Ezra. And Nehemiah. There's always someone there that God has got his hand on. There's always someone there that has have yielded to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. There's always someone there who is alive to what God is doing, who understands the times because God has shown them. You know, when we look at each regime as it goes, you know, we got Daniel with, uh, with the, the first two. Then of course we've got others that we come through. Ezra, Nehemiah, you've got Zechariah. We've got all these different prophets that stood up. Stood up and spoke into all the situations that they found themselves in. And of course when we come to the, the, the period of the Romans, who have we got? Well we've got John the Baptist. Who comes along and prepares the people to receive Messiah himself. And he walks uh, the earth in the reign of the Romans. And then as as we go through uh, the whole of the history of the Roman Empire. The legs of iron and the feet of clay and of iron we have the church that is growing and growing and growing and growing and God is speaking to us and he's enlightening us and he's showing us how he wants us to live so therefore as man um, floats away and goes away from God all the time God is always there with these reins you know and he wins people and he woos people and he brings people back to where they ought to be. So as man is doing his worst, God is doing his best and saving some. He always has a remnant. He always has someone to call on. Here we are in Estrad. I don't know how many Christians live in Estrad. I am not got a clue. But I know there's a couple of thousand of people living here. You know and out of those couple of thousand people I should imagine that 95% are still in the kingdom of the world. But they are very very fortunate because God has got a little group of people they gather here each Thursday night and they listen to his word and they get stimulated to be his spokesmen to be his ambassadors to be his witnesses because they know what it's all about. They know what the world needs they know where the world is going wrong they know what God wants they know what God has done and they know what will happen to those who put their trust in him you know and if that doesn't stimulate us to be about his business knowing the destiny of this statue the statue is destined to disappear And the kingdoms of this world Are destined to disappear Without a trace Because one of these days This world Is going to be the kingdom Of our God And it's going to be characterized By righteousness And there will be no pride And there will be no lust of the flesh And there will be no lust of the eyes There will be no violence There will be no greed There will be no rebellion Because Wherein dwells mm-hmm. the righteousness of Christ, that is the destiny of this world. You know, and I don't know about you, but I want as many people who are caught up in the kingdoms of this world to be one for Jesus, so that they become the kingdom, become a part of the kingdom of our God. You know, it is the most important aspect of our lives. And sometimes I think we, we forget that that's why we are here. We forget that that's what God wants us to be. We forget that it's the important bit of being saved. And that is reaching the lost. You know, I've said many times before, there are many things that you and I will carry into eternity with us. But there's one thing that stops. On this side of the divide. And that is opportunities. To pull people from the kingdom of this world. And bring them into the light. Of the glorious gospel. Of Jesus Christ. You know and if these studies. Will achieve nothing else. But stimulate us. To bring as many people out of that kingdom. That's passing away. As possible. And if that's all it does then I for one will be thrilled to bits. You know, I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about me. You no, know, we all need to understand the importance of the hour that we ourselves find ourselves in. Because you see, once we are enlightened, then we have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Better to be in the dark if you don't want responsibility. But once we are enlightened, then we become Responsible, We are his ambassadors Proclaiming the salvation That lay only in Christ And him crucified You know one day The same Jesus whom they crucified Will return As a stone cut out without hands That will come and crush The feet of the kingdom of men And once he's crushed the feet the rest will topple. And this world will become filled with the kingdom of Christ, his eternal kingdom, which will cover the earth, which will be epitomized by righteousness. Your throne, O oh God, says the Father, is forever and forever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. For his name's sake. Amen.